Do you ever have things that you do in, in your head, you're sure they're much better? Like when you do impressions, do you ever try to do impressions of people? And it sounds just like them in your head, but other people are like, you ever talking to the back of a fan? You know, like, I know that sounds great. And everybody else is like, dude, you're just talking in a fan. I have a Bill Cosby dance. And I'm just, like when that song's playing, I'm just positive. Like if I'm just doing my head like that, I'm sure it looks just like Bill Cosby. And everybody's like, what's wrong with your neck? Dude. So we play that song and have everybody stand up and dance? Should we all like collectively do a flash Bill Cosby? No, we shouldn't. That sounds like a challenge. That sounds like a challenge. I think you should do it. Randy's going to dance and it's going to be worth it just to see Randy do the Bill Cosby dance. If you're here for the first time, you're like, I'm never coming back to this place. <laughs> Ever. Like, they do weird stuff like white men try to dance. It's bizarre. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff that we'll never agree on, right? Um, let's name a couple of them. Tar Heels or Wolfpack? Duke? Who said Duke? Weird. Um, what about um, Carolina Panthers or Dallas? Cowboys. Well, you know, it's funny. I, the first service didn't have this much energy. And y'all have a lot of energy, and I'm kind of scared, actually, because of it. Um, Democrat, Republican, right? I mean, there's like, we don't agree on about a lot of stuff. But today, there's one thing I think we can all agree on, and here's what it is. Family is, at the same time, awesome and awkward, right? Now, I brought, I brought some pictures because <laughs> I love pictures, just to show you how families can be awesome and awkward. Uh, this is not my family. This is not my family. I want to make sure that you understand right away, this is not my family. And if it was, I would tell you that they're not my family. Um, I mean, what is up with that? So this is a great moment, isn't it? The moment when, um, <laughs> like, the, honestly, I know I'm sick in my head, but when I look at that picture and I see her rolling her eyes, the only thing that's missing is the dagger, isn't it? Like, you just expect to see, like, this thing in the back. She's not happy at all. Got a few more. Um, did any of you do this when you were dating and newlyweds? Did you, did you dress the same? And if you did, please tell me it wasn't with those pants. <laughs> Somebody had a great idea that didn't work out well. This is interesting. This is a couple that's madly in love with their recently passed away cat. I, I don't know. I don't know who in their right mind goes, let's get a family picture and let's hold the skeleton of our cat. Awkward. Awesome and awkward all at the same time. Let's just, for, when I see this picture, now, um, a couple of years ago, our family had the chance to go on a cruise with um, Nehemiah and Renee Parr's family. And the one thing I remember from the cruise, other than there was a lot of food there and you're on a boat, the other thing I remember is that they would take these pictures of you. They had like this night where, hey, bring your family down. We'll get a picture. It'll be great. And like you get the awkward picture like standing in front of the, the whatever that thing's called, the wheel thing. The wheel thing. Sure, let's just go with that, right? For the ship. Huh. And then you also, they had to like do these weird poses. Like, you know, show the love for your wife by putting your hand there and just weird stuff. This guy's going to break her neck. This is like Olin Mills. Remember going to school and you went and you sat down. They sat you in the stool that would turn. And so they like, they'd get your, they got a protractor. They get your knees like at the 38 degree angle and sit up straight and then turn this way 
And then turn your head that way and look natural. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I'm confused. This is an awkward picture. On, on going to murder her. I don't even know what to say. Um, a family's at the beach on vacation, and they woke up and went, hey, we've got matching robes. <laughs> what about a family picture on the beach? I, I'm, hopefully there's bathing suits under them. Um, okay, let, we need to point out a few things here, okay? We need to point out a few things. Number one, it is awkward that they're wearing the exact same clothing, Okay. It's also awkward that the girl in the front is in a lot of pain and apparently in the process of relieving some of that pressure. Um, but that's, listen, that's not the most, most awkward part of this picture. The most awkward part of this picture is that that same family did not have compassion on the daughter, but decided it was the perfect time to switch out the dad for the mom and get another picture. <laughs> Can somebody say family counseling, right? Um, I think we have a, a couple more. I'll just let that soak in with you right there. I mean, did, didn't everybody have this as a family? Didn't all of you have that stage where your mom was like, you know, for the next year, you're going to be my mannequin doll, and I'm going to dress you up just like me, and we're going to get a picture together. It's like so, so weird. And that's just a normal family picture until you notice the person's eye in the lower right corner. And Wendy just saw it. <laughs> Something about that picture just screams, help me. <laughs> so we're kicking off this series today called We Are Family. And I just wanted to go ahead and just say right up front that we're taking a little bit of a risk, right? Because all of us have memories of family. And some of those are good and some of those are not so good. So, the, you know, when I say we are family... Some of you are like, yay, because you had an awesome family. And some of you are like, oh, crap. Like, I'm here to get away from family, right? Like, but here's the thing. God, in the Bible, he gives all these metaphors, right, for the, for the church. And he could have called us a lot of things. But he, he settled on family of God. He could have called us the pieces of God, the robots of God, the machine of God. He could have called us all kinds of things. He called us the family of God. So there's something about family that matters to, to Jesus, right? There's something about family as a church. What does it really mean to be a part of a family? I would say this, that we so desperately want to be a part of the family that even when we're in a family, sometimes we do pretty crazy things just because we're in a family. Like I just gave you some, some evidence right there. But here, here's something. When I was old enough to know better but young enough not to care, our family had this thing called family night. Do you have family night? Family night's when parents get the, the kids together and say, you're going to have fun. But nobody has fun, right? So you just sit around, like, you know, we used to play really exciting games like Yahtzee. You know, some a loser, can't win. So one, one night, we're having family night, and my sister Laura, who right now is down, down there um, teaching Kid City, she had this great idea. Laura was like somebody in your family. Laura was the idea person, right? So the idea person dreams up this great idea, and they know it's on the edge, it could get somebody in trouble, so they delegate that to the other family members. Do you have a family member like that? You hate them too? Yeah. So Laura was the idea person, so here's what she, she, she said, Paul, sissy, my sisters, and, and me. <laughs> okay, forget I just said that, let's continue. She calls us over, and she's like, I got this great idea to just kind of really liven up family night tonight. 
Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but back in the day when, we, when this was going on, there was a really popular song by Ray Stevens, and it was called The Streak. So Laura had this great idea. Nothing livens, livens up family night like a streaker. So she said, I'm going to go out, Paul. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to start playing the song The Streak. And, and Paul, you're going to streak for family night. All right. I waited in the bathroom, a little nervous, and they started playing that song. Oh, yes, they call him Streak. And I, I went. I went for it. I mean, I went out, and I, my mom's sitting on the floor. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I'm right there, man, in and, and all the glory that a boy that age can have. And, and I mean, I, I, was, I, went for, I was twerking before twerking was twerking, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm just into it totally, right? Like, hey, mom, what's up? Yeah, I'm loving this baby, right? Yeah, and she's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> All because I'm in a family, right? I mean, what you, you're like, I'm glad I wasn't in your family, right? And we do weird things, man. We do weird things just because we're in family. Sometimes we do things because we want to be in the family. I found a story about this guy named Stephen Burton. In 2008, Stephen Burton went to his 20-year high school reunion. Now, 20 years earlier when he was in high school, he was the loser in high school. Anybody relate to that? I, I felt like that. Like, the kick me signs always on your back. Like, the popular kid could make a joke, and he, everybody just laughs. And you could say the exact same thing, and everybody's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> just don't fit in. He was the kid that didn't fit in. So for his 20th high school reunion... He went dressed fully as a, as a um, in, in military dress, marine, decorations, purple heart, all these distinguished awards, up and down the sleeve, everywhere. Only problem was, he'd never been in the Marines. Just kind of wanted to make that good impression so he could finally be in. And it probably would have worked, except one of his classmates was in the Marines. And she was like, something's wrong with this picture. It's like, Stephen, that's not right. So she walked up to him, and she was like, hey, Stephen, it's good to see you. Like, hey, can we get a picture together? So they got a picture, and she took that picture and sent it to the Marines. And he actually got arrested and charged with, like, pretending to be a Marine when he wasn't. All so he could fit in. Man, that's crazy. Family is that powerful, isn't it? Like, they make us crazy, but it's that powerful. We all want to be in. We'll do crazy things just to be in. The next couple of weeks, we're going to try to ask some questions like, what does it really mean to be a part of a family? What does it really mean to be a part of a family? For now, today, I just want to start you off with this. The biggest lie that we've ever seen in a movie. You seen the movie Castaway? Remember that movie? Somebody had this brilliant idea, hey, let's get Tom Hanks and just shoot a movie with him, <laughs> right? Low-budget film, only one actor. If you didn't see the movie, he was, a, he was a FedEx employee. The plane went down. He got, ship, he got deserted on this island for four years by himself. Finally, he, like, comes to, he gets out, over the, over, out into the water. He gets rescued. He comes home. His girlfriend didn't wait on him. Boo, women, everywhere. I know, I know, women are like, well, he got lost, right? I mean, come on. He gets home. Here's the thing. 
That story was all about, hey, man can face anything, and he can just get through it, and we won't need anybody. I'm on an island by myself, and I'm going to get through this thing by myself. It's, the thing is, the biggest lie in Castaway is that he was never on the island by himself, was he? Remember his friend? I think we got a picture of his friend. Remember him? Wilson? Do you know that I was doing research on Castaway? And here's what I found. The people that wrote the movie, that came up with the idea, they never had any idea that they would have Wilson in the movie. Until the man who was writing this part of the movie, he started talking to counselors who deal with people who have been through um, solitary confinement. And what he found out talking to that, those counselors was, man, when we're alone, we can't handle that. We will do anything we can to have people around us and so then that guy who's writing the movie, he goes and spends a week on a deserted island just to kind of see what it's like. And on the deserted island, in real life, he found a volleyball. And that's where the idea for this Wilson came from. Even Hollywood gets the truth of Genesis chapter 2.18. God said this, it's not good for man to be alone. And any man who's ever tried to cook for himself says, amen, right? Like, if man's alone, our diet is oodles of noodles. If women are around, steak. Women! It's not good for man to be alone. Here's what you need to understand, though. That verse, that truth was spoken by God before sin ever entered the world. You ever notice that? Like, we're American, right? Most of us in the room. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm American, but I'm Southern. Yeah, okay, well, you're American. Most of us, because we're American, here's what we think. We're pretty sure that if we can just grow up, we'll get to the place where we don't need other people as much. And there's, a, there's some truth to that, but here's the bottom line. Man, growing up and not needing people, that's not a sign of maturity. That's, it's almost a sign of, of pride. I don't need anybody. I mean, he needed a Wilson. He's a volleyball. People need companionship so much so that when they live by themselves, what do they usually buy? A dog, a cat. And they don't talk to the dog and cat like they're a dog and a cat. They talk to them like they're a person. They dress them up. They wear silly dog sweaters. And you don't have to be alone to do that. We have a dog, and I talk to my dog like she's a human too. Hey, Bella, what's up? What you want to do today? Wag my tail? Go outside and pee in the neighbor's yard. She, she says, rough. And I'm like, I know. You want to go, you want to go for a ride in the car? Just want to wag my tail and pee in the neighbor's yard. And we're so desperate for companionship. You'll be in a room alone and you'll turn on the TV. Not because you're watching it, just because you and your best friend, Anchorman, are hanging out. Right? I want to introduce you to my good friend. He works at Fox News. We're so desperate for companionship. Anything to have people around us. I want you to understand that, man, God said it's not good for man to be alone. He created you. He created you to need the person next to you. Now, if you look at the person next to you, that might be exciting or it might not be, right? He created us to need one another. It's not good for man to be alone. So the, the need that we have for other people is the design of God. It's not the curse of sin. Still alive behind Castaway. God, um, after we realize that, we realize that we need to be in a relationship. We need to be in a family. I want you to see what God did for families. God made family easy. He, 
he made family easy. In Genesis chapter 2, before um, there was ever sin in the world. Man, you're going to love this. We'll get to the second half of that in a second. If you're a man, you'll love this. Before sin ever entered the world, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, 25, that Adam and Eve were naked and without shame. I'm not saying we should do that next week. I think you should probably come clothed to church. People ask us all the time, like, do you have a dress code? At, like, what should I wear to church? I'm like, something. Just, just wear something. <laughs> I don't care what it is, just something. Be covered, right? But before sin ever entered the world, check that out. They're naked. They didn't have to wake up in the morning and think about what to wear. God made relationships and family so easy that Adam, before sin, he never had to answer the question, does this make my butt look big? That's easy, right? It was like that if you this side. It's easy. That's before sin, right? God made family easy. Our sin made family hard. And if you've ever been to a family reunion at Thanksgiving, you know sometimes family can be hard. But we did that. We made family hard. Genesis 3.16 This is what happened after sin entered the world. God said to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And all the women said, that's not good, right? It hurts. In pain you shall bear, bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about theological nuances. And what does that mean? That Like the woman has to submit to the man and he gets to rule over her and she has to be barefoot in the kitchen. I don't think that's what it's saying. We could argue that all day long, but can we just cut through all of that and agree about this? Before sin, not even worried about the clothes we're wearing, easy, family's easy. After sin, that's a complicated verse. Like, he'll rule over you. You're going to have pain in childbirth. Like, family got hard. Do you see that? Family got hard because of sin. We did that. God's plan was, you need each other. You need relationships. So I'm going to make it easy for you to be in relationship with each other. And our plan was, sweet, we jacked it up. And now it's hard. Now relationships are complicated. Before sin, Facebook would never have had it's complicated as an option. Now they do. It's hard. We've done that with our sin. Pride, appearance, blame, none of that was a part of the equation before sin, but now it is. God made family easy. Our sin makes family hard. So what was God's answer to that? Parents, um, when your kids really tick you off, I mean, it never happens in your family, rarely in mine, but when they really make you mad, when they do things that you really like, God. What is, our, what is our response as parents? Now, if you were going to be super spiritual, you'd be like, well, I fall on my knees and pray for them. And then I get up and fix them breakfast. And then I give them anything that they want. Now, and that might be you, but like in our house where we live, if I'm really ticked, I don't want to make it right. I need, I need some space. You go to your room. Well, when are you going to come get me? Next week, I don't know. Just go to your room. How am I going to eat? Whatever can slide under that quarter-inch crack, you'll eat. <laughs> I'll just go out the window. i got policemen out there. Stay in your room, right? I mean, it was, I just need space, right? That's, that's typically our response 
to when somebody does us wrong, especially in family, right? Because if it's a stranger, you just get in the car and leave. But if it's in your house, you know, we, space. Here's what I want you to understand. God created this perfect scenario for us to have relationship. He made us to need him and others. And then he made others to meet that need, and he was going to meet that need. And our response to that was, break it, jack it up, sorry, I'm a man on an island, I need nobody. And God's response, if it was like me, would have been, well, (laughs) when you figure out how that's not going to work for you, you come over here and talk to me, and I might think about possibly forgiving you. Am I being too real? But that wasn't God's response at all. God's response to mankind who broke that relationship, was he came closer to it. Blows my mind. God sent his son far in order to bring more children near. He sent Jesus into that mess to rescue us and bring us back to him. And what a dad. Galatians chapter 4, I'm giving you a lot of scripture, you just jot them down, we'll put them up on the screen for you. I just want you to see what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did, God's response to the distance that we put. God so wants us in the family that he went to this length. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, right now, your head's already spinning. You're like, okay, there's some redemption going on. There's rights of sons, and I'm a girl, and what in the heck is this about, right? Let's just nutshell it. Let's boil it down. Here's what it means. We jacked it up, and this was God's answer. He sent Jesus. He, he didn't send his worst to fix the problem. He sent his best to fix the problem. He so wanted to have a relationship with us. He so wants us in the family that he did everything possible. He paid the most he could so that he could not just fix us but redeem us as sons. Verse 6 says, Because you're sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, and the Spirit calls out Abba, Father, which literally in the Greek is like Daddy. So you're no longer a slave but a son, and since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. Here's what happens in those four verses. Jesus redeems us. I mean, you ever redeem something? Uh, maybe you're better than I am. I end up every now and then like periodically pulling stuff out of my wallet. And I'm like, oh, crud. I'm like, I could have used that. Oh, man, I just went to that restaurant and I had a coupon, right? We have things all the time. We forget about them. I mean, God never forgets. He never forgets the value on your life. And he sent Jesus to redeem you to kind of cash you in, to find the value, help you find the value in your life. We get so alone, so out of relationship that we're like, I'll never get back to that. I so want to get back, I will never get back to that. But he sent Jesus to redeem us. He sees the value in us. He sent Jesus to restore our rights as family. And he sent Jesus to repair the broken relationship between us and our dad. Man, if you've ever had problems with your dad, that's huge. You know, it's not like Jesus just said, hey, come live with me. Don't ever talk to dad. He's crazy. He fixed that relationship. He repaired it. Jesus um, wasn't content with one son or with one daughter. Some of you might be. That's fine. God's not that way at all. 
He's not content with just one. So Romans chapter 8, we find this. He's going to talk about the same adoption process. You're going to hear the same phrase, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Everybody say we. we. Everybody say we, we. I just want to see if you do it. That was fun. <laughs> I did it, and I was proud, too. We, we, all the way home. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies that our children, that our, that our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. So here's the thing I want you to see. It's not, it's not singular, it's plural. It's not child, it's children. It's not son, it's sons. It's not we, and it's not I, it's we. It's plural. And he, he's not content to have Wendy as a daughter. He wants everybody, you know, everybody. Jesus is building a kingdom by growing a family. She jot that down on your sheet. It's a good thing to remember. Here's why. Because, man, if you ever had somebody hand you a track, a gospel track, they're not bad, right? But, like, people give you gospel tracks. They just, like, they don't want to have a conversation. That's just they're out, like a drive-by gospel witness, right? So here's a track, and I'm running away as fast as I can. Or I'm going to slip it under your windshield wiper while you're in the mall. That's my favorite, right? Or, you know, I'm going to put it on the table instead of a tip. Huh, great move. People do that all the time. That's not the heart of God. He, he's okay with tracks, God's not trying to just build a kingdom. If it was just about building a kingdom, we can find ways to just get more people saved. He's about building a kingdom by growing a family. Do you see that in the verses we're looking at? He wants to grow a family. So he doesn't even want you to attend church and not know anybody. And believe it or not, as the pastor at the gathering, I don't want you to attend the church and not know anybody. Because at the end of the day, you're going to hate church. Because we're never going to be a good enough show. You can get a better show at a concert, even if it's country music. I want you to be at church to be in relationship with people. That's what God desires, too. He's not just after a kingdom. He's after a family. So if God's about a family, then number four is the one we need to get today. What does it mean to be in family? Family means we're accepted. What a great word. It means we're accepted. Now, over the coming weeks, we're going to learn um, a lot about what it means to be in the family. Today, we're talking about being accepted. In the weeks to come, we're going to say that being in the family means we're expected, connected, corrected, protected, perfected. You want me to start rapping anytime now? Rejected. Ha! Just the rapping. I mean, you're still in the family. It means all those things, right? But today, it just means this. Being in the family means that we're accepted. And here's how we're accepted. First, we're accepted by a forgiving father. And we talked about it. Most of us, we're slow to forgive. Like, if we were the dad, like, you look at Luke chapter 15. You just jot that down, verses 20 through 24. It's the story of the prodigal son. You probably know this story. If you don't know the story, here it is in a nutshell. There's two sons, and the dad's got some money. And usually you have to wait for your parents to die to get your inheritance. But the younger said, son said, I'm out of here. Give me my money. So the dad gave him his money. And the Bible says he went off and squandered that wealth with prostitutes and wild living. He was partying hard. 
And it was all good until he ran out of money and he ran out of friends. And then he starts, he's feeding pigs food. And he's thinking about how good that food the pigs were eating looks for him. And he, he gets this great idea. You know what? I'm better off at home as a slave than I am here as a son. So he goes home. And he goes back. And he's got this idea to tell his dad, look, I don't want to be your son. I mean, I wish I could go back to being your son, but I, I've messed that up. I, want, I just want to be your slave. I just need to be here because you're a good, I just want to be with you. And of course, the father, you know the story, he stands up on the porch doing this. Come on, keep coming. Not close enough. Is that how it goes? You guys that know the story? No. I mean, those of you that don't know the story, you're like, well, that's what I would have done. Me too, right? Thank goodness we're not God. Everybody be, everybody be dead. Little piles of ashes all over the city where we just kill people. What did God do? What did the father do in that story? He jumped off the porch, and the Bible says he ran to his son. He met him before he ever even got up the driveway. And the son starts going through his prepared speech, and the dad's like, stop. Don't go any further. No, 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 no. You're not a slave. You're my son. Hey, bring the best clothes out. We're having steak. Kill the calf. We're partying. Light up the barbecue. Shrimp on the barbie. Right? They're just going they're into it, man. It's a great thing. The father's happy because the father's a forgiving father. That's the God that we serve. He's a forgiving father. See if this makes sense to you. In that story, that father didn't teach a lesson as much as he celebrated learning. He didn't teach a lesson as much as he celebrated learning. Sometimes as church, and here's what that means. Sometimes people come to us and they're broken and we've been preaching the truth and they've been rejecting the truth, and we get our feelings all hurt, so we get mad at them. And they come to us, and they're like, my life is so screwed up. And we're like, well, we told you so. If you'd only listened to us when we were preaching, none of that would have to happen. Did the father do that in Luke 15 with a prodigal son? No. He didn't. Do you do that with your kids? Like when they come to you all hurt and broken and bleeding, do you, like, diagnose the problem? Well, see, what happened was, no. You just love them. God's not a God who's about teaching you a lesson, but he is a God who celebrates when we learn. That son learned something. He learned it was better to be near his dad than far from his dad. And when he realized that and came home, his dad didn't have to teach him a lesson. He just celebrated because his son had learned that. We need to be a church about celebration. We need a church that celebrates when people come home. Because we're family, Right? Do you know that when I was youth pastoring, I had a girl who I knew would never be at church for like three or four months at a time? She told me that. She's like, I'm busy. I mean, I've got stuff I've got to do. I'm on a softball team. I'm yada, yada, yada. I wish I could be there, but I can't. And I knew all that, and she was gone for four months. And the first time she came back, I heard one of my students say to her, where have you been? That's like, I know it's bad when as a youth pastor you want to punch kids, but like, I want to punch her. Like, that's the reception home? Where have you been? How about, man, we've missed you. So good to have you back. We don't need to teach them a lesson. They've already learned it. No shame, no agenda. Just an unexpected and undeserved welcome home. So we're, we're accepted by a forgiving father. And here's the big one. Um, if you're here today and you're not really a church-going person, so this maybe somebody has bribed you to come, right? They're like, if you come today, I might give you a car. Sweet, I'm coming, right? So you're not into the church thing. You're not really sure about Jesus. 
If that's you, you can just take the next few minutes off, play, play like some game on your phone because this doesn't apply to you. But if you were raised in church most of your life, you would consider yourself a church person. This is for you, okay? This is really important. And I'm talking to myself because I was born in church. Not only are people accepted into the family by a forgiving father, but they have to be accepted into the family by a forgiven family. What do I mean by that? A forgiven family. If you read the rest of that story in Luke 15, what you'll find is the older brother, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but we'll just, we'll just paraphrase it a little bit. He kind of flipped his brother off. If you're ever going to see somebody flip somebody the bird in the Bible, it was in Luke chapter 15. When the older son was outside and said, well, if, if you're letting the younger son come in, the dude who's been out squandering your wealth, if he's going in, I ain't going in. And then whatever, you know, he did after that, <laughs> whatever was in that custom at that time. I mean, he looks at the dad and basically says this, pick. Sometimes we get really proud of ourselves, don't we, as Christians? Well, I've been going to church, and I've been given 4.78% of my income. Where have you been? I'm good. You're bad. And we forget that we've been forgiven. Jot this down if you're taking notes. If you're not, just etch it in blood on your hand. Kidding. Don't do that. People are like, I got a knife. We can't rejoice over salvation when we can't remember being lost. We can't rejoice over salvation when we can't remember being lost. I, I, I know where I would be right now if I did not have Jesus in my heart. If I was not following Jesus, if I was not a disciple of his, if I had not been rescued and redeemed, I know where I would be. I would be somewhere on a ward with a white jacket and my arms would be like this. And right now you're thinking, I can see that. You know, you twitch a little bit and you're kind of weird and crazy. You don't even know what's in here. I know what's inside me. I know about in my entire senior year, every lunch being in a tuba storage closet, just depressed and ready to kill myself. I, I know. I was there. I lived. I was there. And Jesus redeemed me from that. I'm telling you right now, if he hadn't redeemed me, I wouldn't just be lost. I'd be, I'd be locked up. Sometimes we get so far into this church thing, we start measuring our success on stuff we've done. And we forget about where we were before Jesus rescued us. Don't we? And it's so critical that as God begins to draw people into the family of God, as he starts to grow his kingdom by growing a family, we've got to be the people that remember what it was like to be lost so that it's easier to forgive and remember that we were forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's just sum that whole verse up with four words. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. When I start to not want to forgive you, it's because I've lost sight of all the things that God's forgiven me of. 
And I promise you, if we were just going to list them all out, I win every single time. I'm sure my list is longer than yours. might not be the same as yours, but it's longer. So week one. I want you to understand what it really means to finally be home. What it, what it really means to be a part of a family. This is how Jesus receives people. This is how he accepts people into the family of God. I mean, if, not, if we don't get anything from the cross, it's this. Open arms on the cross. And the open arms on the cross have to mirror an extended arm of the church. See, if Jesus opens his arm like this to receive anybody as a church, we can't go. I'm sorry. No, we, we can't say no. Let me give you the big idea, and then I'll talk you through it. So the big idea, if you're here for the first time, you're like, okay, what's the point? The big idea is because you're not going to remember everything I said if you remember anything I said, but I bet you can remember this one thing, right? So if you remember this, you're going to get all of it from today. And now you're thinking, well, then why did you just do all that talking? Just give me the big idea up front. Let me go tailgate because I got the mic. Here's the big idea. We can't say no to anybody when the cross says yes to everybody. We can't say no to anybody when the cross says yes to everybody. I know that you're going to want to push back on that a little bit. Um, we'll do that in the weeks to come, right? So, like, there is, when you're part of the family, there is some correction, right? Any, of the, any parents in here ever done this? Like, looked at your kids and said, um, turn the TV off, put the iPod down, get your butt out of the couch, and go clean your room. Oh, it's just our house? Okay, <laughs> just checking. So there's, there's like, yeah, there's stuff that you, we expect things. There's parts of being a, being a part of the family. There's expectations. There's stuff that happens. There's correction. There's all that stuff I read to you earlier. We'll get to that later. But for today, can we just get that? That being a part of the family means that we are accepted. No matter what, we're accepted. When I was youth pastoring in my first youth group, we had a, a boy named Jonathan. Um, Jonathan was a perv. You know people like that? I mean, Jonathan was the guy at youth group that when it was time to, like, hug people, the girls were like, because <laughs> he would, like, he loved to just share the love of God and Jonathan, right? Just pull, pull you in close. You know, the girls were like, Pastor Paul, he creeps us out. Please do something about Jonathan. And then the boys... The boys in the youth group, they got into it too because they liked the girls. And so they would like, I'm going to defend the honor of the girls. Because really, they were, they were just pervs on the inside. Jonathan was a perv on the outside too. So they, they defended like, you better leave them alone. You better leave those girls alone. We'll, we'll bust you up in Jesus' name, right? <laughs> so what do you do with Jonathan? What do you do with the perv that hugs all the girls? And all the, all the guys want to beat him up. So one Sunday night... Just as God would ordain it, all of us are there, the youth group. There's no visitors. Like that's, sometimes that's a good thing because you've got to like talk family, right? And there were no visitors, and Jonathan wasn't there. And so like all the kids, the buzz was like, 
this is it, man, tonight Paul's going to take care of it. Pastor Paul's going to talk to us. He's going to tell us what to do. So I got it from my youth group, and this is what I told him. I said, listen, um, here's the deal, guys. If you can't love Jonathan, you can't love the world. If you can't love Jonathan, God will never trust us with anybody else that needs Jesus. And they looked at me kind of like you're looking at me. But he's a perv. I get it. And I'll make sure he doesn't hug you anymore. Man, if we're going to beat somebody up, are you kidding me? I'm convinced that God sends us the worst to see if we can love them. Jesus even said that. I can't give you the reference right now, but he said to the religious people, if you just like the people that like you, what good is that? Like, basically, God said, any dummy can do that. But if you love your enemies, and that's when you see the gospel at work. When I was youth pastoring here at First Assembly, here, <laughs> there at First Assembly, when I was youth pastoring there, um, we had a guy come to the church when we were like trying to get this worship band going, you know, and I like, I played keyboard, which, you know, keyboard's really cool when you're the youth pastor, right, like, like guitar, we had nothing, so like one night, this guy walks up to me, he goes, hey man, I'm, I'm Kevin, like I, I know you don't have a guitar, I play guitar, like, you play guitar? Yeah, I play, I, play, I love to play guitar, like, you don't have a guitarist, like, we don't have a guitarist, you play guitar? Like, yeah, like, you think I play in the band? Let me think about it. Yes. So the next week, Kevin's up on the platform, and he's like got his electric guitar out, and he's just rocking it out, you know. And the kids in the youth group kind of came to me, concerned. Pastor Paul, like, what are we going to do about Kevin's guitar? Like, oh, turn it up, right? That was my answer. Like, but no, no, like. He's got like Metallica stickers, corn stickers all over it. Like, you think we should get, like, get him to just take those stickers off? Because we're having a hard time really worshiping. Like, you're, not, you're not even worshiping. And if you're focused on his guitar, you're not worshiping at all. And, and you're missing the fact that there's a young man who doesn't know Jesus, who's on our platform playing the guitar and then he's sitting next to you while we teach him about Jesus. We, we don't get to say no to anybody when the cross says yes to everybody. And I can hear you right now going, but, but like, how far the cross? Kevin gave his heart to Jesus. Kevin went on to be an amazing leader in our youth group. God did something in his heart. Because we didn't close the door and say, no, your kind's not welcome here. Being in a family means you're accepted. What it means for you this morning is this. You can actually come to the gathering. You don't have to like Jesus. We just like hanging out with you. We're pretty sure that if you stay long enough, you're going to encounter enough of us that Jesus has radically transformed and changed, and you're going to be like, I didn't even really like y'all when I first came, but what is it about you? I had a girl, she came up to me, and we were meeting in the coffee shop. It was like her first time here, and um, I, I was like, you know, so what, why are you here? What's your story? You know, how, how'd you find out about us? And she said, I had a friend that told me that if I came to the gathering, 
you wouldn't judge me for having a lesbian mom. That was her, like, hi, how are you doing? Wow, that's a bombshell, right? And I don't know, what, what would you have said in that instance? You know, what I wanted to say, I wanted to be the older brother, and I wanted to say, well, then, uh, hmm, I know what they're trying to tell you, but I mean, we might have to judge that. I mean, lesbian mom, I mean, you know, I'm not sure, like, there's verses I can show you in the Bible, and I'm not sure that's, I'm pretty sure that's not right. It's good to have you, though. But what I found myself saying was, they're right. Your friend's right. They're absolutely right. And we'll accept you here. We'll love you here. And we'll love you right into the arms of a God who wants to forgive you. That's what it means to be family. That's what it means to be accepted by a forgiving father and by a forgiven family. We can't say no to anybody when the cross says yes to everybody.